You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Uh, some of you get our newsletter, and if you do, you've kind of got a little bit of a taste of what is on screen right now, kind of an update. Uh, but more has happened even since that newsletter went out. If you want that newsletter, just go to our webpage, scroll to the bottom, click subscribe to newsletter. Otherwise, um, we'll update you services when they come around. I do want to tell you a little bit about 1208-bit, which uh, we used to call Nerd Church. If you're around for that, we, uh, we're here to create space, foster growth, love people. And we do all this because we love God. love God. That's right. So since we're in the business of creating space, we've been thinking, what are some of the ways in which we can create more space for people who are not reaching? And uh, it just so happens that our church is full of nerds. Hands up of those of you who have been helping out or, or are just our nerd. If you're a nerd. Okay, perfect. Uh, now, those of you who have been helping behind the scenes put together Nerd Church, if you're here tonight, would you stand up really quick just so people can see you? Yeah, yeah. There's a few of you present tonight. Uh, and Tyler is uh, actually stepping up to pursue kind of a leadership slash pastoral route in this. So it's really cool to see him stepping up in that. We're going to be going through a little bit of a leadership process with that uh, to help empower him for that. Um, but here's the thing for, for some of us you're thinking okay so we're putting on a new event to reach nerds kind of sounds nerdy <laughs> no, it kind of sounds like, uh, uh, like just another ministry here's the difference if we're putting together something that's reaching people that we're not currently reaching we are qualifying that as like a new church it's still 1208 Greenwood but it's like a church within 1208 Greenwood trying to reach new people in the same way if we were to start like a Hispanic church with uh uh, Espanol is your main language, right? We would consider that as like, it's 1208 Greenwood, but it is a new church. Not just a ministry in which the people who are all here right now are going to another thing, but a new church that's trying to reach unreached people within our church already. So I want to give you a little bit of an update behind 1208-bit. We've been talking about it. Mega XP, which is like Jackson's Comic Con, if you will, is coming up. We were able to secure a booth for that. So we're going to be present telling people about our upcoming launch. Uh, we're going to start with a soft launch. Monday is from 5.30 to 7 o'clock. So uh, Mega XP is like August 24th. Two days later, uh, we will have these soft launches, which are more or less just game nights. So at 5.30, in the same way 4.30, doors open here for dinner church. At 5.30, doors will open uh, for, for nerd church, if you will, for 1208-bit. And then from 6 to 7.30, there will actually be a time for games. We may have organized some kind of game that night to do. Uh, there may be some kind of like, um, it may just be a free space for people to play games, but it's a great time to build relationships, just like you do during the dinner portion, right? You get to know the people at your table. When we get to the full launch, it will develop out of that into some of the more churchy aspects. So 5.36, doors are open, 6 to 7.30, Level one, if you will, is just playing games, hanging out, or maybe we put something together. But then 7.30 to 8 o'clock, which we're currently calling level up, that's kind of our spiritual time. So it's the same kind of thing with dinner church. You can come and go at your own convenience. But hey, if you want to stick around, we're going to have a time to kind of talk, have a conversation about 
uh, the Bible, about Jesus, about the gospel. And if you want to stick around for that, which we're hoping they will, because we just spent an hour and a half to two hours building relationships with them. So they don't think that we're just crazy, right? Uh, over time, they'll, they'll stick around, get to know us a little bit. And then from 8 to 9 o'clock, this is the other incentive to stick around. If you want to stick around, play more games, or continue the game you were playing, from 8 to 9, we're going to have more game time. Uh, this is also a good break-off point because there's a lot of younger kids who are going to want to come to something like this. And it's a good time for parents to come and pick up their kids before the bonus round comes up, you know. So... Uh, your ministry team that's all been working together, trying to design a church for nerds, by nerds. They've been doing a good job just thinking outside the back box of how to reach out. You just give them a round of applause. They've been working really hard on this. So more details to come on that, uh, especially over the next few few months here. And by the way, by the way, did you, did you like our logo? Huh? It's an 8-bit tree. <laughs> Ben's like, that's great, Jamie. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we're working on that in the background. Again, we're creating space, foster more growth, love more people, so we can love God, so we can show people who Jesus is. So it's a, a cool way to work in this. And I, I was talking with the, the leadership group, just remembering what Paul does in the book of Acts. Okay? He walks into people's culture, and he uses their culture to reach them. He doesn't worship the culture or whatever, but he speaks into it. We did a series on the book of Acts a few years ago, if you were here, and if you remember that message. But Paul like goes into their culture. He says, look, one of your poets said this. So Paul, instead of quoting a Bible verse, quotes one of their poets. And then he flips that around to talk about Jesus. He also looks around. He sees a bunch of idols to false gods. But he sees like one idol that's to an unknown god. And Paul's like, hey, this idol right here to this unknown god? Let me tell you who that God is. His name is Jesus. So what Paul does is he walks into cultures already established, and then he starts to tell them about who Jesus is. That's the same thing that we're doing here, walking into a culture in a way that really is kind of untapped in this way. So I'm excited for that. Um, man, all your bodies are making it so hot in here. I turned it, I turned it way down, and now it's like burning up. All right. All that being said, let's jump into today's passage. We've been going through the book of Matthew, and today we find ourselves in a passage that honestly to me was just kind of strange. And it's not strange in the way that like it doesn't belong there, or it's not cool that Jesus did this, but it's about Jesus healing two blind guys. And what's strange to me is back in this time, paper costs like a lot of money. Like I heard like one stat of how much it might have cost Paul to write the book of Romans. And given how much paper and ink was back then, I think it was like over a thousand American dollars. So like, you know, you've got paper in front of you. If you're going to write, <laughs> you're using up expensive space here, right? And Matthew tells a story of Jesus healing two blind guys, which is cool. But Jesus has done this before. In fact, in Matthew 9, he heals two blind guys. So I'm like... Why is this here again? <laughs> We're just about to get to Jerusalem. It's just about to explode into this crucifixion. And yet we pause again to focus on two blind guys getting healed, which is great. But it's, it's happened before. And so that just kind of stuck out to me. I was like, well, why is this here? And honestly, I think there probably is like some deep scholarly reason why Matthew tells this story again. Thank you very much. I don't look sweaty or anything, do I? <laughs> Uh, um, 
But for whatever reason, it's happening right here all over again. And so I paused and I was like, all right, what do I do with this? I I could just skip over it. We've been through this before. People have heard this kind of story before. But the Bible pauses for it. So how do I pause for it? So let's read through it. And I'll show you the way in which I don't know if this is what Jesus intended, but the way in which it convicted me this week. Matthew 21, 29 to 34. And they went out of Jericho. That's Jesus and his disciples. They went out of Jericho and a great crowd followed them. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. They cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes. And immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. There you go, honey. Uh, as I was thinking over this passage, it just started to convict me in a way. And I kind of want to start with uh, some older stories to show this. Uh, these two blind guys are like, on, they're on the fringe. They're on the outside. They're, they're all the way on the outside so much so that they're like socially outcast. No one's paying attention to them. They have to yell and scream to get Jesus's attention, right? So much so that like these people keep shushing them, but they just keep getting louder and louder. As I, I sat with that, I started to think about my own experiences with the outcasts, with the socially fringe people. And it brought me back to, to thinking about my time in Chicago. So where I went to college, everyone's required to go on this cross-cultural of sorts. And my cross-cultural was not Greece, not Europe. It was Chicago. <laughs> I went to Chicago uh, and uh, everywhere I went, I would run into homeless people. And apparently I did a good job at kind of like recording down in my journal just like these conversations. So I've tried to pull them back up, adapt them a little bit so my writing's a lot better. Uh, But uh, just kind of like share some of these moments in which I ran into these um, outcasts, if you will. And uh, this is going to depict me, I think, in better ways than I am. <laughs> because I'm about to tell you kind of my failure stories after this. So I want to I show you kind of like when we try to engage with the Holy Spirit, try to engage the socially outcast. These are some of the stories that I felt come from that. So I'll read a few for you. I noticed a sign on top of a suitcase as I neared this homeless man. But all I had on me was 20s and a little bit of change. The sign mentioned something about health problems, and while I wasn't exactly in the mood to do ministry at that moment, I decided to pull out my wallet anyways. Hey man, sorry, I only have a little bit of change on me. What's your name? I asked. Roger, he replied. What's yours? Jamin. I handed him about 20 or 30 cents. Do you mind if I pray for you? I asked. Yeah, sure. Cool. Now, I saw that your sign said you had health problems. Yeah, yeah, I just had surgery to get my appendix removed. But I also have some other problems. My heart isn't doing too great and I have high blood pressure, he said as he reached into his suitcase and pulled out a container of pills. This is medicine I have to take to keep myself healthy. I mix them all together in this container so it doesn't take up too much space. All right, so is there any physical pain in your body then? I asked him as I took a seat on the ground next to him. No, not so much anymore. Most of that was all my appendix, but now that that's gone, I feel much better. All right. 
Well, I've seen God heal people on the spot, so I just figured I'd also pray for your health and we'll see what happens. I mean, not everyone gets healed, but how about we pray and just see what happens anyways. So I put my hand on his shoulder and prayed that he would be healed of all the sickness he still had. Nothing happened, but I was still happy to pray. I then pulled out one of my 20s and said, use this wisely. Oh, I will, he replied. Three nights a week, I get a room at this cheap motel in the area. This will help a lot with that. Later in this, I, I found a, a, guy at, a guy at Starbucks uh, approached me and said, Hey, man, I hate asking this, but my car's out of gas. And I was wondering if you would help me with any money. I've been asking around everywhere. I can't find anyone to help me out. Now, when you're in Chicago, you sometimes think twice about moments like this. You wonder if it's some kind of trick or not. Uh, sure, I answered. Just show me where your car is. <laughs> yeah, man, it's out this way. We walked about a block to his car. It's that black one right there. I see, I said, still a little wary that I was being scammed. Can you turn it on for me? Uh, turn it on? <laughs> yeah, just show me that's actually your car. Oh, man, I left my keys with my cousin. Hang on, he should be, should be around here somewhere. Then picked up his phone and called some number. Went straight to voicemail and left a quick message. Man, I promise you this is my car. I'll tell you what, I said. If you let me pray for you, I'll give you some money. What? He said, really confused. I can't turn down prayer. And so we prayed in that moment, and uh, I gave him that money. I walked by a homeless man later who was holding a cup for change, saying, God bless you, over and over again. I passed by him, and on the way back, decided to stop and give him some money and asked to pray for him. You want to what? He asked. Pray, I answered. Oh, yeah, sure. Another block down the road, I ran to another homeless man, but I believed this guy was much more broken. When you get to the point that all you can do is stand against a wall and quietly hold a cup to collect money, I feel like you've reached a very difficult level of homelessness. Can I pray for you? I asked, handing him some money. Sure, he answered. Cool, what's your name? Ben. And then we prayed. Then, after walking out of Chipotle, I made my way around town to kill some time until a play started. No sooner had I walked out the door before I ran into a homeless man named Sam. I grabbed a few singles I had left in my wallet, handed them to him. His eyes were a bit red, and he mentioned he was hungry and just needed money to eat. I asked how he was doing, and proceeded to, he proceeded to give me the quick story of how his life was, and then I asked if I could pray for him. He was happy to accept, and he put his arm on my shoulder before I even got mine on his. Together we prayed, and at the end he gave me one of those half-man hugs. I then turned to leave, and as soon as I did, a homeless woman named Lily sitting in the corner called over to me. Lily had seen me give Sam some money and was hoping to get some herself, but I had just given Sam all my singles and I didn't really want to give out a 20. I grabbed what little amount of change I had and put it in her cup. I then prayed for Lily and was on my way. And then, as a friend of mine were killing time in downtown Chicago, we came across a homeless guy that I think I had met the night before. He was chilling on a street corner trying to sleep. We then passed another one later, lying on his back, trying to sleep in front of a storefront. He had his arms inside his jacket and looked like he was rubbing them to stay warm. We passed by at first, but then we went back to check on him. Hey man, you look cold. Could you use a coat? I said, offering him mine. Oh wow, he replied. And then took it and put it on and we were on our way. My time in Chicago was really eye-opening for me to, to come across homeless person after homeless person and to feel the conviction that I have to stop, that I have to do something, that it's not okay to just 
walk by and, and ignore this moment. And so I treated it like it was a sacred moment. Whether they were ripping me off or scamming me or anything like that, I honestly didn't make that much of my concern. And I understand that there's good reason sometimes to not give people lots of money because then they might go use it in a bad way or something like that. I understand all those kind of conversations. But I kind of just released myself of that to just say, I'm going to work to be generous. I'm going to work to pray for people. I'm going to hope that God heals them on the spot, that they, they meet Jesus and and that they see a little bit of him and me in these moments. And so I spent a lot of time with uh, the social outcasts. And it's weird. I, in those stories, I feel like I gave away a lot of money and I was just a poor college student. I don't look. I'm not saying this happened, but I just felt like there was always money in my wallet. <laughs> it just seemed like there was always more than I expected to be there every time I opened it. I wasn't really paying attention to what was there. But I remember writing in some of these journal entries, Jamin, you have to remember when you get back to Jackson to incorporate this kind of thing into your life, to pay attention to the people around you, pay attention to the social outcasts, and show them who Jesus is. And I'll be honest with you, Chicago's my good stories. It ends up that sometimes it's a lot easier to minister to people you don't know. Who you don't know the story. You don't know why they need money. You you don't know anything about it. And they've only asked you once for money. Uh, Sometimes when I'm in Jackson, I know who's going to ask me for money. If I'm walking downtown, it's amazing. I'll see someone shift slightly in a step. I'm like, they're coming. <laughs> I'll just, across the street, I'll see someone. I'm like, all right, here we go. And I'll be right, like 90% of the time. Hey, man. There's, there's one guy I've given money to downtown. I remember, like, the second or third time. I was like, yeah, man, well, I gave you some last time. I don't really have any. Oh. And then I ran into somebody at Wendy's who I know I had asked for money downtown. And I'm all the way at Wendy's. I'm like, surely this just doesn't happen everywhere I go. But he walks right over me. Hey, man. I'm like, how? How does this? It's just, it's what I realized was, you know what, Jamin? You've become a little more bitter in your generosity, a little more bitter in, in reaching the same kind of people that you were comfortable reaching when you didn't know them. And God really kind of convicted me of this after I preached a message to uh, some college students at Spring Arbor Free Methodist Church. I used to kind of talk to all the, the college students over there. And I remember one night I was just kind of like letting, letting all, of, all of my hurt from some of these past situations. Because sometimes when you don't have the money, you know, they don't know what to do. Uh, and so sometimes the, the reaction is to lash out at you. Oh, well, you're not a very good person then, are you? Not giving me money. Oh, thanks. You know, like sometimes these moments happen or they yell at you or or things like that. And I get it. Like they're frustrated. They don't know what to do. You were the one hope and you failed. But that wore down on me. And I realized when I was done with that message, like, man, I the people that I've been spending so long in Jackson trying to reach. Now I'm like venting of my frustration on on how how to help them. And God kind of convicted me that night. Jamin, you've got you to pay more attention to this. So my Chicago stories are maybe my good stories, but my Jackson stories with the people I know are not always as good. Well, that's something for, for me to work on because the people of Jericho in today's passage, see, they needed <laughs> this message. They've got two blind guys in their city that they all know, Right? In the same way, if I go downtown and I know who's going to ask me for money, you know when you live in this city and these two blind guys who are beggars, because they have to be, 
They can't see. They can't make a living wage. They can't do anything except rely on the generosity of people around them. These are the people in Jericho, and you know everybody knows who these guys are in Jericho. They see them every day. They know their faces. They know where they stay. They know if they want to avoid that area. They knew when they needed that. They knew that these people needed constant help. And to walk by one of them without helping, like they knew that they would probably feel convicted if their hearts weren't so hard. Who knows what kind of thoughts entered their minds? Maybe the same kind of thoughts that have entered your minds when it comes to conversations of helping those around you, right? Like, oh, why don't their families just help them? Or, oh, they always need my help. I'm always helping. I could take a break this time. Or uh, some, some might even like stop back in that time. They'd be like, oh, well, they're blind because God's, God's showing them some kind of punishment for something. Because that's what the disciples thought about a blind guy. Or someone who is... Uh, handicapped in some way, they said, oh, well, what did he do wrong that made him, that God decided to make him blind? And Jesus is like, nothing. <laughs> so the glory of God could be revealed in him. That's why he's blind. Now watch as I heal him. Right? But so often we will go to any length, so much so as to demonize them. Oh, well, what do they do that put them in this place? But Jesus didn't come with that attitude. These are the least of the least of these in the town of Jericho. These two blind men. They're always asking people to do something for them because they have no choice. They're, they're ignored. They're shunned. They're treated poorly. Maybe they're even tricked. Actually, there's a law in the Old Testament that's like, hey, look, do not lead a blind person down the wrong path. The Bible had to stop and be like, hey, you jerks, stop tricking the people around you who need your help. So maybe they're doing that too here in Jericho. And maybe even when people do help, they're helping angrily or reluctantly. Like, fine, you know? That kind of attitude. This is the state of these two blind men in Jericho. I'm just thinking from my own sociological perspective here. But then Jesus enters the picture. Though these guys are blind, they can't miss him. A massive crowd has formed around him. And these blind men, they've heard the stories before. Like I said, two blind guys have already been healed in the book of Matthew, in the gospel of Matthew. And so maybe that story has gotten back to them. Maybe that story or some other story. So when they hear that Jesus is in town, these guys who have been blind for so long have maybe tried all kind of medical things. Maybe they're homeless because they paid all that money trying medical things. Whatever the case may be. Here they are, and they hear that the only hope that they've ever heard of, this, this Jesus guy, this, this God figure who can heal people, this is their one hope. And so though they're blind, they start crying out. They're screaming, they're yelling, they desperately want his attention. But then the crowd starts to push them back, starts to hush them, starts to tell them to shut up as though Jesus has time for you. But that doesn't stop them. They start screaming louder, yelling louder, trying to get Jesus' attention, knowing that this man is their one hope to have any kind of a semblance of a normal life from here on out. They refuse to give up. They yell and they yell. They will not be ignored until the cries finally reach Jesus' ear. And he stops. This whole crowd around him, he stops. You imagine like everyone bumping into each other. What does he want? What is he doing? 
And maybe everyone's looking around. Maybe they heard the story of that lady who reached out to grab his robes. Like, ooh, which one of us touched the robe with faith this time, you know? Instead, he calls for the guys in the back, the blind guys, the social outcasts that everyone kept telling to shut up. He says, them, bring them up here. And then he asks the weirdest question. Hey, what'd you guys want? <laughs> as, as though you can't tell what, what they want. And they say, Lord, let our eyes be opened. I actually started to cry when I read this part. I don't re-cry very well, so I would if I could. But I know it makes you think harder, so hang on, let me jump. No, it's just I'm cheapening it. Okay, so the Bible says that Jesus took pity on them. It often talks about him having compassion. He has to stop because he has compassion. He's tired. He's exhausted. He's been doing ministry. There's this great crowd around him in Jericho crowding him. And so far, it just seems like he's walking like, (laughs) get off my back, everybody. But then these two blind guys, and he takes pity on them. And he heals them, and immediately they see. And you know, when he does that, suddenly we realize who's really blind in this story, right? Not the blind guys. They actually see more clearly than everyone else. It's the crowd that's blind. They're blind to their own community. They've shunned these people. They're blind to the purposes of God. Despite how much throughout the Bible he's been like, take care of the poor. Watch over them. Do this. (laughs) Here they are standing in front of God in flesh, Jesus himself. And yet they're completely missing the intents of God and what he wants to do in that moment. They're blind to the will of God. They're blind to the pity of God in flesh. They're storming Jesus, right? They're crowding him on every side. Let us see God. Let us get a touch of the Savior, of the Messiah. They're waiting for a sign and wonder for some kind of awesome teaching to blow their socks off. They're they're waiting for him to help them in their own ways. I've got a poor person, a sick person. uh, Look at these problems I have. Would you bless me? Would you bless my baby? Would you kiss this baby? You know, just whatever the case may be. Thing after thing, this great crowd, they're there for a reason and they probably want something. And in this moment, they're shoving away those who are in need more than they are. They consider themselves more important than the others around them. And unfortunately, this is sometimes an accurate depiction of the church. Where we are trying, so Jesus, if I could just get closer to you. If I could just touch you. If you would just bless me. If you would just help me. If you would do this. And Jesus turns to you. He's like, hey, those two blind guys over there. Because we've been so focused somehow. It's weird, but it happens in the church all the time. We're so focused on Jesus that we actually miss the gaze of Jesus was somewhere else. But the blind men, their lives are changed. They go from being ignored... To acknowledge so much that you know them now 2,000 years later. They go from being blind to seeing. They go from nobodies to it says that they became followers of Jesus. They became disciples. That's something that even the rich people couldn't pull off, right? Remember that rich guy in the Bible? Hey, what do I got to do to be a disciple? Oh, well, go sell all your belongings, give the money to the poor. 
Eh, not going to do that. But then these poor guys who have been shunned, who are on the outside, who are the outcasts of society, on the fringe, they become disciples so much that you remember who they were. In fact, Mark and Luke actually name one of them, Bartimaeus. You know how many people in the Bible get healed who don't have names? But Bartimaeus, you remember his name. Because he became a disciple of Jesus. Out of a giant crowd of people, it's the ones on the French who are remembered in this story. And it's, it's funny to me because it's almost like the Bible writers themselves need to be reminded to remember the poor around them. Okay, Because if you look at Matthew and, and Luke, sorry, if you look at Mark and Luke's version of this same story, they say there was one blind guy. And then Matthew comes along and is like, guys, you can't even remember correctly. There was two of them. <laughs> there was two of them. Maybe, maybe Bartimaeus was a better disciple. Maybe the other guy left. Uh, maybe he's just more well-known in the town. I don't know. But either way, Matthew's like, don't forget the other guy. You forgot the least of the least of the two. <laughs> right? The Bible has to like, make commentary on itself. Look, we need this story to hugely motivate us right now. We recently announced that we wanted to find new ways to create space. And Nerd Church was one of those things, Right? But one of the other things that we're working on is a way to create empowerment houses for people who have been dealing with poverty or homelessness that we might find a way to get them a house and move them into it. And then part of the reason that they would be able to stay there is because they're working through empowerment objectives that we've given them so that they can break the cycle of poverty and homelessness. And that we're very, very flexible in helping them do that. If we're going to do something like that, then we're going to do it because Jesus calls us to it. It's a kingdom initiative. That's the way that I see it. Can you imagine if Jericho had this? Oh, the two, the two poor blind beggar guys on the street. Hey, let's go buy a house, move them into it, empower them and check in on them. Can you imagine if Jericho had thought that way? Where Jesus wouldn't have to make the demonstration of the ones on the fringe. Because the ones on the fringe were actually being, being treated well by the city. They weren't on the fringe anymore. Can you imagine if the crowd was like, oh my gosh, Jesus is here. Everybody split. Bring those two guys up. Remember those, those other blind people Jesus healed? Bring them up here. Let's get them healed too. Can you imagine if they thought that way? That's the way we have to think. Because when we take care of the poor, when we take care of anyone suffering in any kind of way, we're taking care of Jesus. Amen. And that's how Mother Teresa acted. When they had the poor come into to their place to get food, you didn't just serve them something off the ground. You served them as though it was Jesus himself standing in front of you. Because when you feed the hungry, you feed Jesus. When you give the thirsty a drink, you are giving Jesus a drink. When you clothe the naked, you are giving the naked, you're giving Jesus clothes, right? When you find a house... For the homeless, you are moving Jesus into it. This is kingdom impact. Jesus said he was coming to make a kingdom here. And that's going to be spiritual, but guess what? It's going to be physical as well. 
And if all we do is look for this high up in the sky, we're leaving here, everything's going to be fun eventually, don't worry about it. You are not installing the kingdom with that mentality. That's right. You are living out a spiritual emptiness that is not the kingdom of heaven. Right. Kingdom of heaven requires us to get down on our knees, yes. to get our hands dirty, yes. and to work to do things that quite frankly are impossible. Right. Like tell a blind guy to see and it happens. Because yes. we've been empowered in that way too. And so as we move into worship, maybe that's the kind of prayer that you need today. Head to the back corner for the prayer team. They'd be happy to pray for you for anything. But start to let the gospel of the kingdom of heaven soak into your skin. We are not just going through everyday life just waiting to die. We are here to install the kingdom on the earth right now. And it does not matter where you are on the social ladder, where you are on the fringes. You have the capacity to do that every day. If you turn to Jesus and pay attention to where his gaze is. Amen. Amen. Yes. All right. So let's worship. Let's create a throne for God with our praises. Uh, you can come and go at your own convenience here at 1208. Uh, but this is what we'll be doing for the next 20 minutes or so. If you are able to, we would ask that you stand with us. And uh, you can take on a different posture if you'd like as we go along singing. And today, uh, if you need prayer for healing like these blind guys did, today I look up to my son, Beckett, who at the table, my daughter kept complaining about a paper cut. <laughs> and after about 10 minutes of this, Beckett just said, Dear Jesus, let, Be- let, let Jericho feel better. Amen. That is the faith of a child right there. I don't know where he learned that from. But it was a beautiful thing to watch. And uh, that's the faith that we come with tonight. If you need something new in your body, be healed. Amen. And we're going to, again, enter into a time of worship.